This is Becoming Anti-Fragile with I.J. McCann. Each week I read a book and highlight the actionable wisdom within. To become anti-fragile, you must strengthen your mind and live with conviction. Let's get into it. Musashi was a boisterous youth, strong-willed and physically large for his age. Whether he was urged to pursue kendo by his uncle or whether his aggressive nature led him to it, we do not know, but it is recorded that he slew a man in single combat when he was just 13 years old. The opponent was Arima Kehi, a samurai of the Shinto Rui, school of military arts skilled with sword and spear. The boy threw the man to the ground and beat him about the head with a stick when he tried to rise. Kehi died vomiting blood. Musashi's next contest was at the age of 16 when he defeated Tadashima Akiyama. About this time, he left home to embark on the warrior pilgrimage, which saw him victorious in scores of contests and took him to war six times until he finally settled down at the age of 50, having reached the end of his search for a reason. There must have been many ronin traveling the country on similar expeditions, some alone like Musashi and some enjoying sponsorships, though not on the scale of the pilgrimage of the famous swordsman Sukahara Bokuden, who had traveled with a retinue of more than 100 men in the previous century. This part of Musashi's life was spent living apart from society while he devoted himself with a ferocious single-mindedness to the search for enlightenment by the way of the sword. Concerned only with perfecting his skill, he lived as men need not live, wandering all over Japan, lashed by the cold winter winds, not dressing his hair, not taking a wife, nor following any profession save his study. It is said he never entered a bathtub, lest he was caught unawares without a weapon, and that his appearance was uncouth and wretched. This is an excerpt from the introduction of The Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, and the translation that I'm reading from is by Victor Harris. I want to thank my friend Ashton for lending me his copy of The Book of Five Rings, and this is the one that I have. And for this episode, what I ended up doing was reading three different translations of the Book of Five Rings, because there are multiple, just to get a broader sense of what Musashi was saying and whether there was any differences in translations. The translations I read were by Victor Harris, which is the one I have, by Kenji Tokitsu, and last translation is by William Scott Wilson. I also want to thank my friend Justino for encouraging me to read Book of Five Rings. And so it's the first time that I read this front to back multiple times in one sitting. The way this book was written is that Musashi, at the end of his life, gives this book to one of his students. And Musashi is imparting his knowledge, his wisdom of having been on this path to seek enlightenment through the sword. And more specifically, the way. And the way is what comes up over and over again. And Victor Harris says, way means the whole life of the warrior his devotion to the sword, his place in the Confucius-colored bureaucracy of the Tokugawa system. It is the road of the cosmos, not just a set of ethics for the artist or priest to live by, but the divine footprints of God pointing the way. So Miyamoto Musashi had had more than 60 contests by the age of 29, and he had won them all. The earliest accounts of his contests appear in this other book called The Two Heavens Chronicle, or the Niten Ki, which was compiled by his pupils a generation or so after his death. At the end of Musashi's life, he had given away much of his possessions. Musashi abhorred luxury. Musashi preached that his students should live a life of detachment from material possessions, specifically from luxury and from fine foods. He believes that this is a distraction to find the way and in walking the way. And this is not surprising because this is a recurring lesson among all the great teachers that we that we have studied so far, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Lao Tzu, whether it's Epictetus. What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Instead, all these teachers want to impart on us that to find enlightenment, to find meaning, to find purpose, you must first become detached to this materialistic society that we live in. Lao Tzu has this quote when he says, The greatest crime is to have too much desire. The greatest disaster is not to find contentment. 
The greatest mistake is to desire for endless possessions. Hence, when one is gratified with self-contentment, true contentment can then long endure. And it's his reminder that you will not find lasting happiness in this material world. In the Dokudo, which is another writing of Miyamoto Musashi, he says, never stray from the way of strategy. And what he's getting here is that you will be tempted to deviate from the way, from the path, by vainglory, by wealth, by status, by luxury. But you must not stray from it. You must remain on the path and be disciplined. And the Dokodo is something that we're going to go over. And the Dokodo is found in Kenji Tokutsu's translation of the Book of Five Rings and also William Scott's translation. But it's not in this Victor Harris's translation. So Victor Harris says, Musashi is known to the Japanese as Kenshi, which is sword saint. The Book of Five Rings is unique among books on martial art and heads every kendo bibliography. It deals with the strategy of warfare and the methods of single combat in exactly the same way. It is, in Musashi's word, a guide for men who want to learn strategy and is Musashi's last will, the key to the path he trod. When at 28 or 29, he had become such a strong fighter, he did not settle down and build a school, replete with success, but become doubly engrossed with his study. In the last days even, he scorned the life of comfort with Lord Hosukawa and lived two years alone in a mountain cave, deep in contemplation. So we were starting to see this picture of this man, this samurai, who has dedicated his whole life to finding the path to enlightenment through the sword and through battle and through combat. And the older he gets, right, the more he dedicates his whole focus, his whole energy, his whole mind. He becomes obsessed with finding this and so ends up living in the cave for years just so that he can understand and so just so that he can dive deeper into this. And the Book of Five Rings is the result of this and so is the Dokoto. So Miyamoto Musashi says, if you merely read this book, you will not reach the way of strategy. Absorb the things written in this book. Do not just read, memorize, or imitate, but study hard so that you realize the principle from within your own heart and absorb these things into your body. He's saying you have to be action-oriented. You cannot simply read this book and pretend that you understand what has happened. You can't just memorize it. You have to put it into action. And he says, Any man who wants to master the essence of my strategy must research diligently, training morning and evening. Thus can he polish his skill, become free from self, and realize extraordinary ability. He will come to possess miraculous power. You must train your body and your mind for the battle. And again, what we're seeing here is this idea of freeing yourself, to become free from yourself. A surface reading of the Book of Five Rings will make you think that Musashi is only discussing physical battles and how to win physical battles and nothing else. But you'd miss the whole point of this book. Because the whole point of this book is Musashi teaching you the way to win against yourself. The greatest battle is fought within you against your lower man. And you see this when Musashi is talking about overcoming your mind, mastering your mind, and making sure to be disciplined when you strike your enemy. All of this requires one thing, and that is mastery over yourself and mastery over how you move, what you think, what you perceive. You must be diligent to strengthen your mind. And how do we do this? Right? To strengthen your mind, you must do difficult things in your life. Things that you do not want to do, but know that it's good for you. And they could manifest in many numerous ways. It could be meditating for more than 30 minutes if you're already doing it for only five minutes. Going to bed early, which is a huge ask for some people. Some people do not have the discipline to go to bed early, even though they know that they should be going to bed early because they wake up early the next day to work. Another very important way to strengthen your mind is a practice that has been done in many religions, which is the practice of fasting. Fasting has been seen by many people throughout human history as one of the most important ways to implement and strengthen your fortitude, strengthen your mind, and strengthen your will. 
because fasting requires that you overcome first the desire to eat, the desire perhaps to drink water as well, if you're doing a water fast. And instead, you dedicate the time of your fast, the times that you would be eating to prayer, to meditating. If you've ever meditated or prayed during your fast, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. There is an immense amount of desire to go and eat something, to go and drink something. But in you practicing stillness, in you embracing the hunger, and in you transcending it, you begin to strengthen your mind and strengthen your will. Another way it might manifest is training on days that you feel especially tired or especially lazy. Right? It is through these things that you build strength enough to defeat the lower man, which we talked about in the last episode uh, with King Solomon. It is Lady Wisdom who teaches us how to overcome the lower man, who is the Minotaur. Musashi goes on to say, Even if a man has no natural ability, he can be a warrior by sticking assiduously to both division of the way. Generally speaking, the way of the warrior is resolute acceptance of death. Although not only warriors but priests, women, peasants, and lowlier folks have been known to die readily in the cause of duty, or out of shame, this is a different thing. The warrior is different in that studying the way of strategy is based on overcoming men. Through victory gained in crossing swords with individuals or adjoining battles with large numbers, we can attain power and fame for ourselves or for our Lord. And this is the virtue of strategy. Here Musashi is saying you must be first willing to die. There's a quote from Lao Tzu where he, when he says, Outward courage is willing to die. Inward courage is willing to live. And for Musashi, it is the courage to go into battle where you are putting yourself on the line. And when you do that, and if you die doing that, that is the most honorable way to go. And that's why he makes that distinction between other people who are willing to die and the warrior who's willing to die. The other important thing that Musashi says is that a man with no natural ability, he can become a warrior by sticking to two divisions of the way. And the two divisions that he speaks about is the way of pen and the way of sword. So Victor Harris in the introduction says, where a Westerner might say the pen is mightier than the sword, the Japanese would say, banbu ichi, or pen and sword in accord. And that's because Musashi goes on to say, there are various ways to enlightenment. There is the way of salvation by the law of Buddha, the way of Confucius governing the way of learning. Each man practices as he feels inclined. It is said that the warriors is the twofold way of pen and sword, and he should have taste for both. I find this very insightful because what you're getting from Musashi is a man who is excellent martial artist, somebody who is a samurai. More importantly, obviously a very deep thinking you have these two aspects of a man who in our modern day and age are considered opposites to each other. You have academics, scholars who know nothing about fighting. And oftentimes you'll have soldiers, warriors, fighters who know nothing about the academic, the contemplative life. And what you're getting with Musashi is the unification of these two. It's more so that we have separated these two things in our modern age and there's a book that I'm going to do. It's called Philosophy as a Way of Life that my friend Amos gifted me a few Christmases ago. It's about how it's only recently that we've decided to separate philosophy as a way of life and philosophy as a way of thought. And I like that Musashi here is bringing those two together because you cannot abandon your mind for the sake of your body and you cannot abandon your body for the sake of your mind. The fundamental thing about Musashi is that both the mind and the body must work together, must work in harmony. Because when they work in harmony, that is when you can defeat your enemy. And more importantly, how you can overcome yourself. So Musashi classifies people into four groups. Samurais, farmers, artisans, and merchants. So he writes, There are four ways in which men pass through life. As gentlemen, warrior, farmers, artisans, and merchants. The way of the farmer using agricultural instruments, he sees springs through autumns with an eye on the change of season. Second is the way of the merchant. The winemaker obtains his ingredients and puts them to use to make his living. 
The way of the merchant is always to live by taking profit. This is the way of the merchant. Thirdly, the gentleman warrior, carrying the weaponry of his way. The way of the warrior is to master the virtue of his weapon. If a gentleman dislikes strategy, he will not appreciate the benefit of weaponry. So must he not have a little taste for this. Fourthly, the way of the artisan, the way of the carpenter, is to become more proficient in the use of his tools, first to lay his plans with a true measure and then perform his work according to plan. Thus he passes through life. These are the four ways of the gentleman, the farmer, the artisan, and the merchant. And he goes on to compare the carpenter to seeking the way of life. Just as the carpenter plans out building a house, every corner of it, every joint, so too you must do the same thing with your life. So too the warrior must do the same thing. He must dedicate himself to the craft, to the sword, to understand how to achieve enlightenment through it. Even though Musashi says people fall into one of these four categories, if you look at our modern day, most people only fall into one of these categories, one or two of these categories, and that is either the merchant, the artisan, or the farmer. Very few people are farmers, very few people are artisans, and most people are merchants or in business. We have tended to relegate and deride being a warrior, being a farmer, and being an artisan. It's looked down upon, and we tend to praise the merchants. We tend to praise the business people, but in so doing, We've corrupted the hearts of men and made the path foggy by saying that the only way to seek enlightenment, to find enlightenment, is by going down this path of the merchant. And like Musashi says, the way of the merchant is profit. However, that is not to say that the merchant is evil. That is not to say the merchant is bad. There is an overindulgence that happens with the merchant. And that's why Musashi uses the artisan to describe how we should go about seeking enlightenment because the artisan is dedicated to cultivating a balance, a harmonious life where he understands his tools and he's able to manipulate the tools for the good, for building, for creating beautiful things. Whereas this is not always the case with merchants. Oftentimes it will be profit over everything else. It will be profit over long-term thinking. And with Musashi, what he's getting here is you have to play in decades and not in quarters. You have to dedicate your whole life to it, and you will live a very long life, most likely. But if you are short-term thinking, like the merchants, where you only think in quarters, you will miss the forest for trees, and he doesn't want you to do that. So he says, if you want to learn the craft of war, ponder over this book. The teacher is a needle, and the disciple is a thread. You must practice constantly. And I love this because... If you think about a needle and a thread, you have to put the thread behind the needle. The needle must lead the way and the thread follows. And with each piercing of the cloth, the thread follows and seals it. So too, it is like that for us when we're reading Musashi. He is leading the way. He's gone through this path and he's showing us how to do it. But we must walk that path ourselves. He can't walk it for us. And we must also constantly practice so Musashi goes on to say, the attainment of the carpenter is that his work is not warped, that the joints are not misaligned, and that the work is truly planned so that it meets well and is not merely finished in sections. This is essential. If you want to learn this way, deeply consider the things written in this book one at a time. Musashi is getting at the fact that with carpenters, if you build a poorly designed house, the carpenter, at least in this day and age, his honor is on the line. And so instead, what he does is he plans everything. He plans every joint, every corner, so that it fits perfectly. And if you've ever seen Japanese carpenters and how they, how they can build houses without nails, simply by designing corners that fit so well that they don't come apart, that is what Musashi is getting at. I would also recommend if you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, to just go on YouTube or Google Japanese carpenter building houses without nails. Musashi goes on to say, in strategy, your spiritual bearing must not be any different from normal. Both in fighting and in everyday life, you should be determined 
though calm. And here is this idea that the public facing you and the inward facing you, the one that you only see when you're alone, right? Those two should be one. They shouldn't be two different things. Whereas we want to try to portray ourselves as one thing when we're in the public and when we're with friends, when we're with people, but we're totally another person when we're at home. Musashi wants you to harmonize these two, to unify these two so that what you are on the battlefield is the same as what you are at home and that you must be determined and calm at the same time, right? Determined in what you say, to have conviction in what you say, in what you do, but also being calm because being calm is one of the most important things as a samurai, as a warrior, because if you are not calm, you cannot see, you might miss important things that are happening. So he goes on to say, there is nothing outside of yourself that can ever enable you to get better, stronger, richer, quicker, or smarter. Everything is within. Everything exists. Seek nothing outside of yourself. This reminds me of a quote by Marcus Aurelius when he says, Look well into thyself. There is a source of strength which will always spring up if you will always look. We have a tendency to not believe in ourselves. We have a tendency to think that we need somebody else's approval to do something. But we have to abandon this idea. You don't need anything external to you. You don't need an external praise. You don't need an external approval. You are enough to do the things that you want to do. We prop up this faulty reason of seeking approval from others just because we are afraid to take the risk. We are afraid to stand out. We are afraid to be made fun of. But what Musashi is getting at and what Marcus Aurelius is both getting at is that if you will look inside, you have the strength within and you do not need anybody else. You have an immense source of strength within. And that's something someone like David Goggins has said. David Goggins' book is on my list to do. But Goggins says, when you are tired, when you think you cannot go more, you, when you believe that you, you have nothing left to give, he says, you're only 40% of the way. You still have 60% of strength left within. The point is you have it within yourself to do whatever it is that you set your mind on doing. So if it is enlightenment that you seek, you don't need priests. You don't need to travel to India. You don't need to travel to Nepal to find it. You can begin your journey right here, right now, wherever you are, whether it's in your home, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're listening to this, you can begin it right there and then. There's nothing you don't need extra things. You don't need incense. You don't need beads. You don't need any of these things. It's better to begin with less than to begin with more because the more you have to begin with, the more distracting it is. And once you've begun the journey and once you've started walking and you want to learn more, of course, it makes sense to go seek out people who are more knowledgeable than you so that you can learn more. But again, remember that you actually don't need them. And I think it's important that you believe in yourself. Again, the quote from Marcus Aurelius and from Miyamoto Musashi, I think is very important. So for that reason, I'm just going to And so Musashi says, I'm repeating, there is nothing outside of yourself that can ever enable you to get better, stronger, richer, quicker, or smarter. Everything is within. Everything exists. Seek nothing outside of yourself. And Aurelius says, look well into yourself. There is a source of strength which will always rise up if you will always look. And one of the things that Musashi says, right, for people who want to learn his way, his strategy, he says, this is the way for men who want to learn my strategy. One, do not think dishonestly. Two, the way is in training. Three, become acquainted with every art. Four, know the way of all professions. Five, distinguish between gain and loss in worldly matter. Six, develop intuitive judgment and understanding for everything. Seven, perceive those things which cannot be seen. Eight, pay attention even to trifles. Nine, do nothing which is of no use. Or these nine precepts are essentially cornerstones for you to learn the path, to start to walk in the way. And so if we go through from the beginning, do not think dishonestly. What Musashi is teaching here is that you must speak truth. You must be able to perceive reality as it is and not 
cloud your judgment by biases, by emotions, to be able to perceive and understand the situation as it is. The second point, the way is in training. You have to put it into practice, right? You, ha- you cannot abandon the way of training. You cannot simply become an intellectual and only talk about the way and not practice the way, right? You cannot be an academic. You cannot simply be a scholar. You have to be both a scholar and a warrior. Become acquainted with every art. And this is something important for Musashi because Musashi says, which we'll get to uh, later on, but he says, once you've seen the way, once you understand the way, then you will see the way in all things. And that's why he encourages his students to become acquainted with every art. And so for, for me personally, there are two warriors in our society that I think you can truly call warriors. The first one are soldiers who are deployed into battle. Those are the closest warriors you're going to get because they actually face the possibility of death in their profession. The second one is the mixed martial artist. And the mixed martial artist over all the other martial arts because the mixed martial artist combines all the martial arts and is locked in a cage and must fight, not till death, but must fight his opponent in a way that's similar to what a one-on-one duel would have looked like. Except we have a referee here and nobody's going to die. And what I specifically love about mixed martial art is that to become a, a master, to become one of the greatest mixed martial artists, you have to be, you have to become not only acquainted, but you have to master four separate domains, which is boxing, Muay Thai, Taekwondo, karate, whatever, for kicking, wrestling, for taking your opponent down, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for controlling your opponent on the ground and submitting or breaking their limbs. Once you are a master at these things, four things the best of the best are not only masters of these separate domains but they are masters of the transitions they are masters in their ability to perceive and to marry all these things together and some of these people in my opinion are guys like george saint pierre khabib Nurmagomedov, and john jones and there are many many more but those are guys who when you watch them fight they're able to basically flow in and out of all these arts. And what Musashi has found is you must become acquainted with every art to find true enlightenment, know the way of all professions. So moving on to the next thing, two that I wanted to mention before we move on is pay attention even to trifles, which is number eight. And this idea is being present in the moment, noticing everything around you, expanding your consciousness similar to to what Csikszentmihalyi says if you want to develop flow if you want to get into states of flow you have to notice everything you have to notice the little details of the tasks that you're doing that are all connected because when you do that is when you get into this flow state where time dilation happens and the last thing of these nine ways that I want to mention is do nothing which is of no use which is something that is going to come up again, which, I'll, which we'll go over. But it's the idea that do only the things that matter. Learn to ignore the noise. Learn to ignore the distraction. And that is happening in our daily life. So, for example, when I'm recording this podcast, I have my phone is not around me. Everything is on do not disturb. The only thing I can hear in case of emergency, my wife will knock on the door. But other than that, I'm purely focused on this thing. And even when I'm reading, I try to do this. I put myself into sets of 45 minutes to an hour where I am to focus solely on that task at hand. And if you've done this, you'll know precisely what I mean when at around the 15-minute mark, your mind starts to wander. Your mind wants to pick up your phone or your mind wants to stand up and walk around and do something. But if you're able to bring that mind controlled, if you're able to bring that mind down, and focus for the next 30 minutes your mind goes into a deep state of flow that's a practical way when i was reading this that i saw do nothing which is of no use so musashi goes on to say if you wish to control others you must first control yourself and as we've mentioned before in previous episodes no man is free who is not master of himself right the greatest of men don't command armies even though we love the idea of napoleon we love the idea of Monday entrepreneurs who run these great big companies, right? Even though we put them on pedestals and say, these are great men. The greatest of all men 
command themselves, right? They are master over their desires. They don't overindulge anything. They're able to stay firm in their conviction, to not abandon their morals when it seems difficult, right? Those are the greatest of all men. And you see this in the episode with the the Buddha, when he is being seduced by the evil one's daughter with their lust, with their passions, with their glories and everything. And they offer him a wager and says, you can have all of this plus more only if you abandon your meditation right now under this Bodhi tree. And the Buddha firmly and strongly denies them. right? And that is how he attains his nirvana. So what must we do? What must you do to do this? Is that you must learn to control your mind. Just as similar to when we said do nothing which is of no use. The one of the nine principles making sure when you're doing the little things of say you're trying to focus on your work you're trying to complete a certain task to be able to control your mind in only doing that and not being distracted so musashi says if you do not control the enemy the enemy will control you and the enemy for musashi is both the external enemy that he fights but also the enemy within himself the lower man So if you do not control the lower man, if you have not slain the lower man, the lower man will rise up and take control of your kingdom, which is your body. He will take control of your mind. The greatest enemy is yourself. The only one who can stop you from doing what you want to do in life is yourself. No one else will stop you, but no one else will push you further than you can push yourself. And on your journey to enlightenment, Musashi says, you must understand that there is more than one path to the top of the mountain. You and I live in a world full of isms and ists and eons, right? Whether that's the idea of postmodernist, Platonism, Thomist, liberalisms, Buddhisms, all sorts of isms. And we like to exist inside of some sort of ism as individuals. And we like to identify with one of these because we are after community. We are after familiarity. We are after comfort. So you'll have people who say, I'm a Hegelian and therefore I think this way. Or I'm a rationalist and I think this way. Or I'm a materialist and so I think this and this and it is the only way forward. Or I'm a spiritualist and the list can go on and on and on. But you see the problem? The problem is that this rigid identification with a group disintegrates the individual, disintegrates the self. And it's not that being part of a community, being part of a group is not important. It is crucially important to be part of a community but there is a difference between being part of a community and identifying yourself with some sort of ism some sort of some sort of rigid identity because what it ends up doing is it ends up making you be unable to think outside of the framework and what musashi has found is that to find true enlightenment you must transcend these categories these man-made categories that we have created for comfort, for familiarity. He says, you must transcend this, right? You must become uncomfortable. You must become unfamiliar because it is in the unfamiliar, it is in the discomfort that you find true enlightenment, that you enter the void, which is the last chapter we're going to talk about. And this is something that if you've studied mysticism if you sort of come across any sort of mysticism and i'm not talking about modern day mysticism i'm talking about ancient mysticism whether that's christian mysticism or jewish mysticism or islamic mysticism if you've studied any of those or read any of their works you'll find a lot of similarities between these groups right where these guys are talking about god but they're not talking about god in the same way that most people talk about god they're talking about the god in this unknowable infinite way that will seem very unfamiliar to people now but the reason that they're able to speak these words and trying to put words into this is because they don't they don't necessarily identify with a particular ism right even if they fall under a category their goal in seeking enlightenment is to transcend it to transcend the categories to toss away the ladder understand that you need the categories in the beginning for they point you towards the path just as Musashi's book is pointing us towards the path of enlightenment through the sword, right? The way he's showing us the way of how warriors can become enlightened. But on your path, as you get closer to it, you must abandon everything because you must 
walk that journey yourself and not walk the journey that Musashi walked. So Musashi says, when you have attained the way of strategy, there will be not one thing that you cannot understand. You will see the way in everything. And this is important because the truth is not a slave to any group. Nobody has a monopoly on truth. Truth only serves one master, which is itself. And once you understand this, you will realize that all these groups that exist, all these categories that exist, they're trying to point us towards the path, taking the path and walking the path ourselves. But the problem often that happens is people become rigid and stuck and believe that this is the only way, that this is the truth is only found in this group and nobody else has truth. And that is a mistake. Once you begin to expand your knowledge and align your character to the way of truth, you'll notice the intricacies of all these different philosophies and not to simply reject something because they, it seems incomprehensible. But again, understand that this is not saying that all philosophies are correct, that all philosophies are equal. It's none of these things. Some are obviously very wrong, full stop. There's nothing about it because a philosophy that seeks to do wrong in the world purposely, that seeks to abandon truth purposely, that is not the way. And that's something that Musashi talks about in that he says, you have to expand your sight so that you can see all, right? When the enemy is coming, when the warriors are coming, but you also have to be able to narrow your sight so that you can see the enemy in front of you, all his movements. And that's essentially what we're getting at. You both participate in these categories, but you're also outside of these categories. And Musashi understands this. And you see this because he's both a warrior and a master artist and a penman. If he was stuck in one category, then he would only be a warrior or he would only be an artist or he would only be a penman. And so he says, the way of the warrior does not include other ways, such as Confucianism, Buddhism, certain tradition, artistic accomplishments, and dancing. But even though these are not part of the way, if you know the way broadly, you will see it in everything. And there's a quote from Musashi when he's talking about knowing your enemy and understanding your enemy so well, right? In the section about when he says, to become the enemy means to think yourself in the enemy's position. And that section reminded me of two things. One was it reminded me of a quote from Orson Scott Card, his book Ender's Game, which I'll get to. But it also reminded me of the fact that, as I mentioned before, the, the greatest enemy that you face is the one within yourself. But to defeat him, you must know yourself extremely well. Because only when you know yourself, you will know your weaknesses where your failings are, where your shortcomings are. And only then can you overcome those things. And the quote in Ender's Game that it reminded me of was, when the main character, I forget his name, he says something like, in the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, then in that very moment, I also love him. I think it's impossible to really understand somebody, what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. And then in that very moment when I love them, I destroy them. So in Ender's Game, that's the, the main character is talking about understanding this group of species and, and him trying to get into their minds. And he ends up realizing this. Right? He, he knows them very well. And for us, you have to know yourself. You have to understand the Minotaur inside of you. right? The Minotaur desires all these things. It's not that the Minotaur itself is evil. Right? He's just uncontrolled. He doesn't know how to control himself. He has all these passions. Once you understand your lower man, truly understand your lower man and his desires, his primal drive, you end up loving him. In that very moment when you love him, you destroy him. Because that is the only path forward. Now I want to move into the Dokodo, which is, there are two versions of this. And these are very short precepts that Musashi wrote two or three days before his death. And I'll read them in order. And there are 21 of these. So number one, do not oppose the ways of the world. Two, do not seek pleasure for its own sake. Three, do not under any circumstances depend on partial feeling. Four, think lightly of yourself and think deeply of the world. 
Five, be detached from desire your whole life long. Six, do not regret your past deeds. Seven, never be jealous of others, good or bad. Eight, never let yourself be saddened by separation. Nine, hold no grudges against yourself or others. Ten, steer clear of the path to attachment. Eleven, in all things, do not have any preferences. Twelve, have no luxury in your house. Thirteen, pursue no delicacies for yourself. Fourteen, do not hold onto possessions you no longer need. Fifteen, have trust in yourself and avoid superstitious beliefs. Sixteen, do not concern yourself with superfluous trappings, only the tools of your trade. Seventeen, do not shun death in the way. Eighteen, do not seek goods or fiefs in your old age. Nineteen, respect Buddha and the gods, but ask them for nothing. Twenty, sacrifice your life before you sacrifice your name. And twenty-one, twenty-one I mentioned in the, right in the beginning, never stray from the way of strategy. So there are a few key points I wanted to highlight. The first one, do not oppose the ways of the world, which is very similar to the idea from the Stoics where you embrace your fate. You do not wish for things to happen. We wish that they happen the way that they happen. Only through that, you no longer have this attachment of, of wishing something else. Number two, do not seek pleasure for its own sake. From the last episode with King Solomon Proverbs, that was something quite evident because Lady Folly, the temptress, tries to seduce you through pleasure by trying to lead you astray down the path of destruction. And it's all through pleasure. In the book of Proverbs, the way that Solomon or the, the writer portrays it is that the temptress walks around revealing herself to young men who are not aware that she is the temptress and they and she leads to her bed and says look i have all these rose petals on my bed ready for you i'm wearing the newest perfume come join me in my bed my husband is not my husband is not in town and when these young men go to her bed and enter her house they realize that she smells of death that the perfume is covering up the death smell and Similarly with Musashi, he's saying, do not seek the pleasures for its own sake. You have to practice self-control. You must discipline the mind. You must discipline the body. Number four, I thought it was quite interesting when he says, think lightly of yourself and think deeply of the world. And it reminded me of a quote from the Buddha. The Buddha says something like, act as if the universe depended on your very action, but laugh at yourself for thinking this. And so don't take yourself too seriously, but take seriously and think deeply about the mysteries of this world. Think deeply about the philosophies behind why you're doing what you're doing, because only through that will you build a conviction. And once you've built conviction, it becomes very hard to sway a man who has conviction. The only way that you are swayed like a bamboo tree in the wind is when you are spineless and you have no conviction. And for us, we are here to build our conviction on how to live our lives. Number six was also interesting. He says, do not regret your past deeds. And this struck me because it is quite easy to fall trap when you think back on your life and say, I wish I had done this action versus this action. I wish I had done, said this versus that. I wish in the moment I didn't do this. But Musashi's point is you cannot change the past. You must accept the past as the past. Only this moment exists because this moment, the here and now, moments like these are what are stacked upon each other and that is what ends up being your life. And so learn from what has happened, but do not live in the past. Live in the present, as cliche as that sounds, and accept the past and learn from it and learn from the mistakes that you've made so that today the actions you take are ones you will not regret tomorrow. Musashi goes on in number 12, number 13, number 14. He says, in 12, he says, have no luxury in your house. In 13, he says, pursue no delicacies for yourself. 
and 14 says, do not hold on to possessions you no longer need. Right? The idea that Musashi is getting at here is luxury spoils the soul. You become more attached to this world when you seek luxury, when you grow your possessions, but you become more fragile. And with Musashi being the prime example of somebody who, over the course of his life, slowly gives away all his possessions, that at the end of his life, the last few days when he meets his kids, when he meets his children and his students, he has very little to give away. One of the things that he gives away is the Book of Five Rings. And Musashi's point is, to become an enlightened warrior, you must transcend the attachment of these material possessions that we call luxuries. And, and 17 stood out to me because he says, do not shun death in the way, meaning face your mortality. Do not be afraid of death in the path towards enlightenment, in the path that you're walking. Do not be afraid of death. And you face your death by contemplating on death. That's much easier said than done. One of the ways that I contemplate on death is in the morning when I'm praying, when I'm meditating, I will sit down and think about my life and think about no longer existing in this life and really trying to sit in that moment where I cease to exist in this life and trying to imagine the world as is, trying to imagine my family and what it is like. And through that, I come to peace with death. Through that, I become friends with death. So that when death comes to my door, when death is standing at the foot of my bed, I can call him a friend. And there are different ways to do this, but this is one of the ways that I do it. And that leads directly into the book of the void, which is the last chapter of this book. And I quote, The Nito Ichi way of strategy is recorded in this, the book of the void. What is called the spirit of the void is where there is nothing. It is not included in man's knowledge. Of course, the void is nothingness. By knowing things that exist, you can know that which does not exist. That is the void. People in this world look at things mistakenly and think that what they do not understand must be the void. This is not the true void. It is bewilderment. In the way of strategy also, those who study as warriors think that whatever they cannot understand in their craft is the void. This is not the true void. To attain the way of strategy as a warrior, you must study fully other martial arts and not deviate even a little from the way of the warrior. With your spirit settled, accumulate practice day by day and hour by hour. Polish the twofold spirit, heart and mind, and sharpen the twofold gaze, perception and sight. When your spirit is not in the least clouded when the clouds of the bewilderment clear away there is the true void until you realize the true way whether in buddhism or in common sense you may think that things are correct and in order however if we look at things objectively from the viewpoint of laws of the world we see various doctrines departing from the true way knowing well the spirit and with forthrightness as the foundation and the true spirit as the way, enact strategy boldly, correctly, and openly. Then you will come to think of things in a wide sense and taking the void as the way. You will see the way as the void. In the void is virtue and no evil. Wisdom has existence. Principle has existence. And the way has existence. Spirit is nothingness. Miyamoto Musashi concludes with that last chapter. We're talking about the void and the void, the way they interpret the void is it changes from different commentators to different commentators. But I think what Musashi is getting at is his experience in attaining some form of nirvana where to bring up the mystics, when you read any of the mystical works from all these traditions, what you find is the idea of the idea of experiencing the nothingness, the ex idea of experiencing this non-being where your ego has disintegrated into the void and you are, in one sense, all things and are in all things. And this is a common account from all these mystical works. And I think Miyamoto Musashi is experiencing it. And we're translating it into the void. I don't know what the Japanese term for the void is, but it could be very similar to this mystical author called Dionysus, who's a Platonist. He's a Christian Platonist. And he says, Entering the darkness that surpasses understanding 
we shall find ourselves brought not just to brevity of speech, but to perfect silence and unknowing. Emptied of all knowledge, man is joined in the highest part of himself, not with any created thing, nor with himself, nor with another, but with the one who is altogether unknowable. And in knowing nothing, he knows in a matter that surpasses understanding. That's Dionysius. So the challenge for this week is to do something difficult, whether that's, say, having a cold shower, which is, or a cold bath, which is quite difficult to do consistently on a long time scale, or whether that's extending your morning prayer or morning meditation by twice as long. So if you're doing a five minute, try doing 10 minutes. If you're doing 15 minutes, try doing 30 minutes. The second thing is do something that will help you overcome your body's weakness through your mind. So if there are days, which likely there will be days today, this week, where you don't want to work out, where you don't want to go outside and train, go and train on those very specific days and go train as hard as possible on those days. The third challenge is to do something like a fast. And there are multiple ways to fast. You can do certain types of fast. If you're new to it, you can say abstain from eating meat on a Friday. So all Friday you don't eat meat. Or you do a fast on the weekend for two days. Something that will require you to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Because when you're hungry, those are the times that you remember why you're doing it. And you're doing it because you're overcoming the body's weakness with your mind. And with that, I want to wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode. I appreciate you. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast. Give it a rating on Apple or on Spotify. Share this podcast with a friend. And until next week, peace.